Would you drive without a seatbelt? Would you play basketball in your dress shoes? Would you rappel a mountain without a rope? Would you jump out of an airplane without a parachute? Of course not. So neither should you go out and battle without putting on the armor of light. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're wrapping up chapter 13 in our study of the book of Romans. While the Apostle Paul has spent most of this chapter talking about Christians in relation to governmental authorities, he closes by giving the admonition that the time of Christ Jesus' next major movement is close at hand, and as such, we need to act accordingly. In verse 13, Paul talks about how Christians ought to behave given that the time of Christ is ever closer. And as we pick up, Pastor Brogy addresses this verse, which tells us we ought not to engage in drunkenness or sexual promiscuity. And Paul remembers writing to believers in Rome, many of whom who made this an annual celebration who came out of this kind of background. No different today for many Christians who, are li- who have living memories of some wicked spring breaks or some trips that they made to Mardi Gras or Las Vegas. And so Paul pulls no punches. He is reminding us we're not children of darkness. We are the children of the light. The second pair beyond carousing, notice the word drunkenness, not in carousing and drunkenness. So even today, whether it's in New Orleans or whether it's in Las Vegas or Daytona Beach, there are drinking parties and drinking movements that happen all across our nation, whether it's in the local bar room or in the fraternity house or the sorority house or wherever it may be. And so often with carousing comes drunkenness. The two are a pair in Holy Scripture. Do you remember what the prophet Habakkuk warned? Woe to you! Woe to you who make your neighbors drink, who mix in your venom even to make them drunk so as to look on their nakedness. This verse speaks of a person who makes his neighbor, his girlfriend, his whoever it is, drunk. Why? So they can look on that person's nakedness. Drinking and immorality go together. Why? Because a person, when they begin to use alcohol, they begin to lower their standards. An article caught my attention on the front page of USA Today dealing with college students who drink. It was one of the most extensive studies done by a group of Harvard researchers who now say 80% of all college students use alcohol. Young people, when you go to the university and you choose not to drink, you will be a minority. You will be looked down upon even by Christians who are so flagrant in this day who are so accommodating in our day, who will try to convince you that if you don't drink and you're committed to abstinence, you're a legalist. I'm coming to that in Romans 14. You may not want to be here for that. But what did they find in their study? 54% reported regular hangovers. 44% of the students surveyed reported blackouts. 39% said they didn't know how they got home on one occasion or another. We saw that recently, did we not? 34% reported throwing up. 22% found out later they had sex. Not that they had sex because they drank, but they found out later after they drank that they had had this relationship. 
in the Bible, the two go together. Hold your finger here, would you, and turn to the book of Proverbs and go to chapter 23 for a moment. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, one for every day of the month. And I began to, with my wife to help our children to learn Proverbs every day. Even today, when the grandkids go down, she's playing Proverbs every morning, and she's teaching them as their parents are teaching them. To this day, my children as adults read a chapter, among other things, in Proverbs every day. It's a book that will help you to live a wise life. I, in my mind, have divided it into three parts, and I've tried to create in my mind a chapter title for each chapter. And I call Proverbs 23 Deception and Booze because those are the two key themes in the 23rd chapter. Look at verse 19. Sounds like you found it. Listen, my son. And be wise. Here's a father speaking to his son. And I'm so sure he could say the same thing to his daughter to keep her on the straight and narrow. My son, be wise and direct your heart in the way. Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. Listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Look at as he pleads again in verse 26. Give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. Here's a father warning his son, and here's a pastor in this pulpit today warning his people. And I can promise you that the alcohol industry will never give you the same kinds of warnings that you will read here in Proverbs. He just told us in verses 20 and 21 that the sin of drunkenness can lead to poverty. One of my uncles had one of the most successful construction companies in the city of Boston in all of New England, and he got engaged in alcohol, and I watched him as a teenager drink away millions of dollars into poverty, and he died drunk in a room in Worcester, Massachusetts. But this father like Habakkuk, also links drinking to sexual immorality. And so sandwiched between his exhortation in verses 20 to 26 to stay away from alcohol and his warning a second time in verses 29 to 35 about alcohol, he now speaks of the pitfalls that go with it. Look, if you will, at verse 26 again. Give me your heart, my son, and let not your eyes, and let your eyes delight in my ways. That's a great thing for a dad to be able to say. Son, live like your daddy lives. I hope you can say that. Then he says, verse 27, for a harlot is a deep pit and an adulterous woman is a narrow well. Surely she lurks as a robber and increases the faithless among men. And then again, he immediately picks up the refrain on alcohol again. This father, thinking and writing under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, links the two together. He's saying, in essence, son, if you drink alcohol, it will cause you to go into the sin of immorality. And there's nothing quite like alcohol that will cause a person to lose control of his mind, to lose control of what he ought to do where that lower, baser, sinful nature kicks in. Evil men have always known that if you want to seduce a woman, you get her drunk in things that an otherwise virtuous woman would never do, she would do when she's drunk. And when people start drinking, they start losing control. As a pastor, I cannot tell you how many people, because the entry level for so many people into the church today is a crisis in their home. Why did you come? Well, because my wife, my husband committed adultery. 
Give me the details. They went out with the boys. She went out with the girls to the bar and they began to drink. And before you know it, they were immoral. That's the first pair. He links them together, carousing in drunkenness. Look at the second pair. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing in drunkenness. Then he says, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. Now, these two are closely associated like the first pair. The first pair, the first word here, sexual promiscuity, translated immorality or sexual impurity, depending on your Bible, is the Greek word koite. It refers to a bedroom. The King James renders it not in chambering. Sometimes the word is used in a positive way, like of the marriage bed. But very often it's used in a negative way. And so today we even use the expression, well, he went to bed with her, speaking of sexual promiscuity. Not in sexual promiscuity. And then he adds, in sensuality. And this is an interesting word because it's a word that refers to shameless sensuality. The King James calls it wantonness. And it's everywhere around us. It's staring us in the face. There are a few movies today that are produced that do not have this kind of sensuality that is shameless behind it. It's in the teen magazines that little girls are reading. It's in the women's glamour magazines. It's in the men's sports magazines. Sensuality is all over the internet. It is all over the television. It is all over the music that people are listening to. And again, he uses a particular Greek word that speaks of someone who's not only captivated by their sexual immorality, but they are shameless about it. And that's our day. People promote it in such a way that they are shameless about it. Like in the prophet Jeremiah's day, there are no more red faces. He said, no one even blushes anymore over sin. The things that used to cause people to blush, they now laugh and entertain themselves on. And so here's the digression that Paul is describing. First, a person joins a, a party of sorts. He gets drunk. He commits some kind of immoral sexual act. And he comes to the point where he becomes shameless about his behavior. And he has no problem telling you about it, about exploiting others and laughing about it. And let me just address the dads for just a moment. Dad, you are called to be the leader, the protector, and the provider for your home, not just in the physical realm, but the protector in the spiritual realm and the provider in the spiritual realm. And if you let this kind of sensuality in your heart first, it will come into your home. You will lose the spiritual steel in your spine that you need. And before you know it, it will be through the TV. It will be in the music. It will be in the internet. And you will fall asleep spiritually. And you will not have the backbone to protect your wife and your children. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think there is so much adultery amongst even Christian people? It doesn't just happen. There's a process that leads up to, to that. Most of you men and women would want your spouse to be faithful to you until death breaks the relationship. Is that not true? Of course it is. Well, you better hold each other accountable. You say, well, that would never happen in our marriage and in our home. You tell that to the woman I counseled this week who calls me up and tells me that her husband of 20 years left her for a younger woman. 
There's a process. And he says, lay aside the garments of carousing and drunkenness, of sexual promiscuity and shameless sensuality. Notice the third category, not in strife. And jealousy. I think this is interesting that he puts this at the end because you see there's a lot of church people who read these six sins and they say, well, I've never been drunk. I've never been unfaithful to my wife. But they're characterized by contention, by bickering, by petty disagreements. Notice these two terms. The first word is strife or quarreling or discord, depending on your translation. It's it's a Greek word that speaks of a contentious, argumentative kind of person. A person who's driven to prevail over others. There's a man in the New Testament. He's found in 3 John 1.9. His name is Diotrephes. And he sought, the Bible says, to be first. It was either his way or the highway. There's a lot of people like that who come to the church. And they are people of strife. Notice, he says, though not in strife. And then he adds, and jealousy. And these two are a pair. The word jealousy here is the Greek word zelos. You can hear our English word zeal. Sometimes the word is used positively in the New Testament. Like the Corinthians who had a zeal for the Apostle Paul and a respect for his apostolic authority. But here the word is used negatively of a person who wants to be first, but one of those who looks with a jealous eye on the blessings of someone else in the church. And I think it's interesting, again, that he puts these two at the end because it's easy for Christians to condemn all these other things and then not to take a hard look at their own life. And these sins will dull your spiritual armor and you will lose the brightness of your spiritual testimony. Listen, what time is it? It's time to wake up. It is time to get up. Third and finally, it is time to dress up. It's time to dress up. Look now, if you will, at verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its loss. Once again, Paul tells us to put on something and put away something. Put on the Lord Jesus. That's a command. That's not an option. Remember, verse 13 is to represent who we were. Verse 14 is to represent who we now are. And so Paul says to put on the Lord Jesus. Now, obviously a metaphor. You cannot literally put on the Lord Jesus, but it's a metaphor they would have well understood in the first century, Jew and Gentile alike. It's used in the Old Testament scriptures. It speaks of our justification. When we are saved, God gives us a robe of righteousness. Last week, we studied 2 Corinthians 5. It says, He, the Father, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin. He was the sinless Son of God, tempted in all ways as we, but He never sinned. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on the cross. On the cross, He bore our sin in His righteous, sinless body. He became sin. Why? Here's the reason. So that we might become, because we weren't before, that we might become what we need, the righteousness of God in Christ. Everyone in this room is either clothed in Christ's righteousness and therefore called a saint. It's not something you earn. It's a gift that you receive by faith. You're either in Christ, prepared for heaven, prepared to have a relationship with God, or you're out of Christ, spiritually dead. And if you die out of Christ, you will die eternally lost without a Savior under the wrath of God. That is the the robe of righteousness given at salvation. And so Paul says to the Galatians that you have clothed yourselves, past tense, 
with Christ. Isaiah the prophet said, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. That's justification. That's your new position. Now He is calling us to sanctification here in verse 14. He is calling us to put on Christ, which means this is a choice not to wear the deeds of darkness, but to wear the deeds of life. Uh, light, he said to the church at Ephesus, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We are not to wear the robes of darkness. Yesterday, I was cutting my grass, really cutting up the leaves. About 15 years ago, Bill Ashton convinced me. He said, I'm not raking any more leaves. I said, you're not? He said, no, I'm just going to grind them. And I've been doing it for the last 15 years. I said, I've raked my last leaf. I'm going to grind them into oblivion until they disappear. And that's what I do. So I was out there late in the day. I finished work just before it was dark. And I started grinding those leaves. You know what? I wasn't in the suit. I went to my closet this morning and I saw what suit should I wear. It's got to be different from last week, you know, because you'll criticize me otherwise. So I put on a different suit. But I didn't go out there in my suit yesterday grinding the leaves. Paul is saying, listen, you need to wear appropriate clothing. What are you wearing this morning? Are you wearing a suit of darkness or clothing of light? Paul says, put on, notice, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord affirming His deity, His Lord, He is King, He is Master, He is Jesus, He is Yeshua, He is human, He is the God-man who came to save us, who pitched His tent among us that we might understand what the Father is like, and He is Messiah, He is Christ, He is the one who would die for us. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Wear Him everywhere you go, and then He says negatively, and make... No provision for the flesh, for the sin nature, in regards to its lust. Two key words here, provision and lust. Interestingly, the word provision, we've already seen it in noun form. It's the word mind. But here it's in verbal form, and it literally means to think beforehand. What is Paul doing when he says, make no provision for the flesh? He is reminding us that sometimes we plan sin. He is reminding us of the dark side of our fallen nature. Oh, we say we just fall into sin. Sometimes you do, but it's not typically that way. Typically, God's people plan sin. So you hook up the cable movie channel and you say, why did I watch that? You go to lunch and you begin to spend time with someone to whom you are not married. And you say, why did I commit adultery with her? You plan sin. You make a provision. You give forward thought to what you're going to do. He said, don't do that. Make no provision for the sin nature in regards to its lust, epithomia. The word is used both negatively and positively in Scripture. There are some things in the positive sense that we are to desire. And so he uses this word in 1 Timothy. It's a good thing when someone lusts or desires for the office of elder. Why? Because if you meet those 21 qualifications and you seek after them, then you're seeking after the likeness of Jesus Christ. 
it's used positively, but most often it's used negatively. Positively, the Holy Spirit lusts, he jealously lusts or desires the Spirit who is within us. God does. But negatively, it's used of the lust that is in their hearts. Romans 1, we studied that. The lust of the body, Romans 6. The lust of the eyes, 1 John chapter 2. And so Paul says, walk by the Spirit that you might not carry out the lusts, the desires, same word, of the flesh. Let's make it practical. What am I watching? What am I reading? What am I listening to? What internet sites am I going to? What am I longing for in my heart? You cannot address the lusts of the flesh without addressing the media of this day. I thought this week, how is it from the time I was a young man that our culture on primetime TV could go from the Andy Griffith show to the kind of smut that we fill on the airwaves? Well, Two parts to that answer. One, the prince of the power of the air is at work. He, through his demonic forces, are empowering the sons of disobedience. He's crafting the system around us. But there's another reason, and it's that we've lost our light. We've lost our saltiness. And when God's people become more and more dark, when they lose their ability to preserve righteousness by being distinctly different, a vacuum is created and evil comes in. Look, when you drill your mind week after week, night after night, where it says sexual relations on the TV says they're just fine. Marital affairs, they're just a part of life. You should experience it. Children are smarter than their parents. Homosexuality is a genetic disposition. Criminals are a result of poverty or racism. Profanity is just a part of honest reality. Women who reject motherhood are real heroes. And you hear that message hammered week after week, month after month. My friend, it is going to influence your person. If you drill your mind on those things, you will be deceived. And if you choose to live differently, you will be considered narrow and uneducated and outdated and as some call me, even a cult leader. Why? Because I'm saying some things are wrong and some things are right and we are not to compromise on the Word of God. Why can't two people love each other and have a relationship with each other even though they're not married? What's wrong with it, they will say. Oh, so what that they are of the same sex? They care for each other. And look what wonderful parents they are. And we've bought into this trash of transgender. What is a transgender person? There is no such thing except some doctor who is a pervert did some kind of operation on someone's body. They are what they are, what God created them at birth. There's no such thing as transgender but we live in a day where God's truth is distorted. And so God says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the lust and its evil desires. Let's apply these truths this morning. Three simple applications. Number one, first, remember, we are in a war. We're in a war. Look, when you go to war, you put your armor on. Would you drive without a seatbelt? Would you play basketball in your dress shoes? Would you rappel a mountain without a rope? Would you jump out of an airplane without a parachute? Of course not. So neither should you go out and battle without putting on the armor of light. And if you start your day or you don't end your day or sometime in the day spending time alone with God, feeding on the Word of God, I can tell you you're not putting on the armor. Remember, you're in a war. Secondly, Remember to walk by faith 
and not by sight. You have to choose to believe God and not the world system around you because the world system will package sin in such a way to make it so attractive. And so a beer commercial never shows someone throwing up at the party. They never show the person who leaves and kills the innocent person. Adult websites never show the marriages that are destroyed and the sexually transmitted diseases that are incurable. They make it beautiful. They make it a good thing. And they make you and convince you that you're entitled to these things and you ought to engage in these things. And before you know it, you have it in your hands, but then it's trapped you. Sin corners you. It shapes you. And in the end, it will destroy you. And the devil will convince you, you deserve this. Don't deprive yourself. And you need to choose whether you will walk by faith in what God has said or whether you're going to listen to the message of the world and it's going to get louder and louder and louder and louder and more profound as we move into the end of the age. Finally, just remember, Christ is coming back. If Jesus came back today, what would he find you wearing? Some of you who've been saved, you've put on some of the deeds of darkness that we've read about and your spiritual robe has been stained. And you need to come to the living God today. And he says that if you confess your sin, he is faithful and he is righteous to forgive you and to cleanse you from all, A-double-L, all unrighteousness. But real confession involves repentance, a change of mind, a change of action and attitude towards that sin. It's time to wake up. It's time to get up. It is time to dress up. And if you've never been saved, then you are in a robe of your own righteousness, which God says is a robe of unrighteousness. And you have not even begun to live. You may be religious, but you're spiritually dead. And if Jesus comes back today and he's going to come suddenly, like a thief in the night, if he comes and he finds you in your robe of righteousness, you will be forever and ever and ever lost. He'll take some to heaven, but he will take some and cast them forever into hell. But he invites you. He is willing to gift you with a robe of righteousness. But you must come in humility and bankruptcy and trust him and receive him as Lord. Father, thank you today for this word. This is a passage that speaks especially to the day in which we live in. If Paul could say to the Romans, it's nearer than when they first believed, what would he say if he were walking on the earth in our day? Oh God, help us to be wise. Help us to see the sin that is anesthetizing even God's people across this great land. I pray today for someone who is here who just needs to come and be honest with you. And I ask you to forgive them and to cleanse them as a believer who's already been saved and to put away the deeds of darkness. Help those who need to do that today to to wake up, to get up, to dress up. And help some dear person listening to me who's uncertain of their salvation and they've looked to themselves and what they could achieve. Help them to realize that their righteousness is, is a filthy rag. That they need the righteousness that comes as a gift on the basis of Jesus' death and resurrection. Help them to call upon the one who bore all of their sin, past, present, and future. Help them in faith to call upon him to say, Lord Jesus, save me. 
We ask it today, Father, to the glory of your Son. Amen. Whether it is drunkenness and sexual promiscuity or strife and jealousy, we cannot fight temptation in our own strength. We must put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. To listen to this or any of the messages in the Roman series, use the Search the Scriptures with Carl Brogy app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. While you're there, you can support the ministry of Search the Scriptures by either a one-time donation or through ongoing support. Your generous contribution plays a role in providing biblical teaching and in helping to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. To request today's program, God's Clock, on CD or DVD, call us at 877-787-7478. Our program number for today is ROM64. Tomorrow we move into Romans 14 and begin a look at gray areas. Join us then as we search the scriptures.